Play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And good morning. Welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard. Good morning, African Americans. <laughs> My name is Chet Fritz, and oh. I am He's white this week. I'm, I'm, I'm transracial forever, Alyssa. Transracial? Yes. In I'm honor o- of the NAACP leader who we found out was really right, white. A yes. white woman. Yes, I am. So a you're white transracial. Man now. Tra- it's trans color. I thought I like transracial though. Transracial is what I am. Um, <laughs> I was born in the wrong color. All the proof is there. I shop at Trader Joe's. <laughs> I ride kidding. my bike. I go to spinning classes. You listen to Journey. I love Seinfeld. Oh it's always been there. So this is your coming out as a transracial man. I love Gouda cheese and mayonnaise. What? And Def Leppard. And De- oh, freaking yeah, Def Leppard. Pour some sugar on you. I'm hot sugar sweet. I can well, Stanley. I'm glad that you made it official that you are now a trans. Racial man. Yes, thank you very much. Of non-color. You Nubian princess, you. (laughs) All right, guys. So uh, welcome to the show. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. My name is Selena Hill. On Twitter and Instagram, it's Miss Selena Hill with an MS, of course. And we just heard Stanley, who used to go by the name Stanley Fresh. He's Chet. C-H-E-T. Chet. Chet. And it's because you are a trans. I'm a white man. I'm transracial. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. Thank you for that announcement. And how, how can people contact you? They can contact me on my Uber account um, <laughs> because I'm white yep. now, so I have an Uber. And, and then you have investments in stock. Yes. White white dot whitey white dot com. <laughs> yes. Um. White people meet dot white dot com slash Christian <laughs> slash Christian mingle. Yes. Um. I just got my membership card from the Republican Party. Nice. Um, it comes with a Confederate flag. A, a gun. And two guns, actually, so I'm very excited about that. You get that. the rifle and the shotgun, right? Yes, Congratulations, yes, yes. Stanley, on, Thank on you, coming Shaquanda. out. Um, uh, Alyssa, Alyssa. And a picket answer. sign yes. that says that you don't like gay people anymore. Yes, yes. Um, my name is Alyssa Fuchs. I'm here with Chet, <laughs> Fritz, and Selena Hill. Um, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs with an I. Same on Twitter uh, or the fan page, Politically Preposterous. Google it. You'll find us. Yes, we are very accessible. Um, we have a great, great show lined up. Stanley made some jokes about being trans. Chet. Chet. Stop it. No, this is going. Chet made some jokes about being a trans-colored slash transracial man. But we're going to be speaking a lot about race today. And I'm so excited. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure you guys have heard about Khalif Broder, who committed suicide on June 6th after he could no longer deal with the demon's torment and agony that has since been haunting him after he spent three years trapped in Rikers Island without a conviction. Uh, he went in at 16. He came out at 19. Without even a trial. Without I even mean, a trial. He was awaiting trial. He was being held on $50,000 bail that he couldn't make. I heard about this on NPR, um, actually. And yes, over a book bag, correct? Yeah. yeah. And they kept this young Negro in prison for three years, right? He was charged Negro? with stealing a book bag. And he oh. was put, they set $50,000 bail on him. And wow. because the bail was set so high, he couldn't make it. Wow. And so therefore, he was held in awaiting trial, essentially, because he said, I'm not guilty. I want to go to trial uh, for three years up until the point where finally his case was dismissed. Wow. Right, so we're going to speak about that in depth. We have a great guest who will be calling in, someone who's been working in the prison reform movement. Later on in the show, we're going to spend some time talking about that NAACP white woman who, honestly, I can't wait to give my opinion on the story. 
Um, so I'm not even going to let you guys know which side I fall on. You probably shouldn't until the news are up. Yeah, I won't. Okay. And then later on in the show, we have a very special guest. We'll have Tiffany L. Gill calling in. She is a documentary filmmaker who made Black Girls Unscripted. Um, she'll be calling in. We'll have a discussion about why black girls matter. Um, and then later on the show, Alyssa will finally break down for us one person, one vote. Right, so it's an interesting case. I'm going to tell you more about, um, but the outcome is going to be really what's the most important thing. Because, That's what she said. Yeah, the the difference between the two positions is the difference between voter, I guess, power being shifted from you know urban centers where it is now to rural centers, and the potential for it to produce districts that are older, richer, whiter, and more likely to vote. Republican. I'm interested in hearing about this because if it supports the white vote, I'm all for it. <laughs> Because right, now that you are white, it's only the conservative white vote. Well, that's what I, gonna, I am. Are you going to bleach your skin too, Stanley? I don't need to bleach my skin. I'm already white. I have rebidiligo, so my skin gets darker <laughs> instead of whiter. But I'm working on that, guys. I'm working on it. I can't miss Stanley. Okay, guys. Shut. So we have a great show lined up. And if you want to let your voice be heard, the phone number is 212-650-6903. You could tweet us at beheard underscore radio. We'll be right back. Here and let your voice be heard. I got 99 problems being white ain't one. Hit me. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Oh, we're white back. Privilege. Stanley is bragging about Chet. his. Chet is bragging about his white privilege. Excuse me, woman. I don't. I don't get BET wrong, do I, Shaniqua? <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, so Stanley, if you didn't hear the intro, he... Oh, sorry. Chet is a transracial white man um, in light of that NAACP scandal story that's been all over Twitter. It's been trending since Friday. Like, the lead story. Selena, why is it that Alyssa and I have our black Twitter cards, but you don't? How did you find out about this the next day? I found out it... I found out about it on Friday. Did the you day of. It happened Thursday you know, night. Thursday we talk night, about Thursday this night. more during the news roundup, but I posted... I don't know if you saw a photograph of some comments that I saw of people talking about it. Yeah. And I thought that they were quite interesting. And yeah, then I was, really like, specific about, like, I'm not endorsing anything that's being said here. I just mm. think that there's a good... You know, conversation going on to here. Be had. Yeah, no, it's a great conversation. We're definitely going to have that. Um, but we're back here. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard on WHCR ninety point three FM, the Voice of Harlem. My name again is Selena Hill. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs and Chet Fritz, aka formerly known as Stanley Fritz, now going by Chet Fritz, <laughs> formerly known as the Black Man, who's now currently known as the White Man. Right. That's right. Praise by Jesus. So um, we're going to get serious now. Um, I don't know if you guys heard. Well, you, you probably did. But just 12 days after <laughs> Khalif Broder celebrated his 22nd birthday on May 25th, he wrapped an air conditioner power cord around his neck and hung himself out of the window of his mother's home in the Bronx. There is no doubt that Khalif's suicide was a direct result of the pain torture and agony that he experienced after spending, again, three years of his youth in prison without a conviction. So it happened in 2010. He was 16 years old, and he was accused of allegedly stealing a backpack. Um, He was then placed in uh, Rikers Island, which is in New York City, and it's notorious. Um, And during this time, he was beaten up by prison guards 
inmates, and he spent more than two years in solitary confinement. Um, there's also some video of him of the the gang. Um, he was he was jumped by gang members and jumped um, by a number of people at more than one time, and you see like guards assaulting him. It's really really horrible. Um, so instead of taking a plea bargain and confessing to a crime that he insisted he did not commit, he decided to have his case heard in court to prove his innocence. As a result, that meant he would have to spend time behind bars because his family simply could not afford the $50,000 bail. Yeah, no, it's it's one of the situations, and I'll mention it more when we get into the topic, that bail reform is a real issue. You have a lot of people that people will tell them, just plead guilty, you'll get out, yep. you'll get time served, you'll get time served. Like, But for people who truly are innocent and who say, I'm not going to take a criminal record, I'm not going to have a criminal record, I'm not going to plead guilty just to get out of here, they end up in this situation where they, you know, they stay in for longer, even though they potentially could be eligible for release Um because they want to fight their cases. Very true, Alyssa. He said that all of his, um, the people who are, who are incarcerated with him were telling him, take the deal, take the deal. And he refused because he knew he was innocent. So um, it took three years before a judge finally heard the case and then dismissed it. No trial. There was a lack of evidence. And the person that accused Khalif of stealing a backpack left the country. So it was dismissed. So it was just a big waste of time, taxpayer dollars, and his life. Um, although Khalif was released from prison, again, at the age of 20 in June 2013, the nightmare he lived through overwhelmed him, and he struggled to reclaim his life. His life got ruined over a freaking backpack? Yep. Yeah. Can we arrest well, the DA? you know, it's not so much over a backpack as it's so much over the system, right? The system is broken, and I like I know we're going to get into that, so I'll hold my comment, but he re- that's why he really... That's what really happened. It's not just about a backpack. It's about the bigger picture, that the criminal justice system is really screwed up. One more thing, Selene. I'm sorry. Can we bury that entire DA under the prison, like today? Don't think we can do that. I don't. <laughs> I don't. So- I think that's the wrong focus. No. Like I, 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 I know that you want to be like, well, the DA could have dropped the charges sooner, but mm-hmm. like the real issue is about bail, and the real issue is about like they could have given him, they could have reduced his bail in order for him to get out and continue. Or to they fight could have the dropped case. the charges after they, it was a book bag, and they didn't, and they kept delaying it. Am I correct, Selena? Well, and they kept saying they need more time for evidence over a book bag. That's true. They should go to prison I mean, like, and stay there. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't... I, listen, I'm not standing up for the DA. I sue the government all the time. I'm a civil rights lawyer. I just, you know, I think it's the bigger picture is the broken system versus just this individual DA, that that's just too narrow of a focus. Right, so... Like I mentioned, two years after his release, he committed suicide on June 6th. Um, and again, today we'll talk about all the missteps in the criminal justice system that led to Khalif's death. As Alyssa mentioned, that has to do with the hefty bail that his family couldn't afford. The fact that he was a child housed with other adults in an adult jail. And the, t- the time that he spent in solitary confinement, which is comparable to torture. It's all of these things that led to his tragic Death, And I know we have a a guest on the line who seems very, um, we're very excited to have, and I know she's anxious to jump into this conversation. Let me give you a formal introduction to her. Her name is Eve Litwalk, and she can send me, if if I mispronounce it, please correct us. She is the founder of 
Ex-Offender Nation, which is an advocacy organization for incarcerated and formerly incarcerated people. She spent the last four decades working as a social justice activist and fundraiser for women's LGBTQ and civil rights movements. She began working with a variety of prison reform groups after she herself was arrested, convicted, and then incarcerated in two federal prisons. Um, she's also a, currently an active member of the New York City Jail Action Committee, um, whose mission is to eliminate solitary confinement in New York City jails. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning. And I already heard part of this uh, terrific conversation. Um, if I can jump in yes. and say one of the dangers uh, is in picking an issue that's too small and not tackling the very important issue, which is that for the past four decades, this country has been very comfortable in with the idea of mass incarceration. And make no mistake, these numbers are huge. We not only have 2.3 million people in prison, but we have 5.9 million that are under supervised release, as I am, which means I have to call and get permission to go to New Jersey to visit my mother. And you have 12 million people going through jails. So between the 2.3, the 5.9, and the 12 million, that's 20 million people incarcerated in one year, and that doesn't include ICE detention centers, and we don't even have a clear number on that. We have, it has become an institutionalized business, and to tackle it, we can't, it's not only just about we must abolish bail, we must do a number of things, but we really have to get the public aware of the extent of this problem because there is no incentive financially. These, these, these 20 million people are employing that many people. You know, it's an prison is uh, a Fortune 500 treasure in that prisons all over the United States are the labor force. You don't have to go to Indonesia anymore. We make 12 cents an hour to take care of Microsoft, Apple, the military. Um, The amount of jobs we create, the amount of services that can be provided, this I don't want to just call it prison industrial complex without people understanding that these businesses are a basis for state budgets. Yes, they are. Eve, you are absolutely right. Um, again, guys, we are speaking with Eve Letwalk. She is the founder of X Offender Nation. Um, if you have a question or a comment and want to chime into this discussion, the number is 212-650-6903. We're speaking about Khalif Browder and prison reform. Um, I want to take a, a few steps back. Eve, do you think the city of New York is responsible for Khalif Browder's death? Let's just start there. And can you please explain why um you know earlier we, we we went over some of the missteps but would you say that you know it's it's the city's responsible city criminal justice system is responsible in that the mental health of a 16 year old boy was destroyed you if you want to pick a point the point that his life was destroyed was his arrest because everything Korean, you cannot survive being housed in a prison, being housed in solitary confinement, and being housed under conditions that you don't know why you're even there. And it, it, it's, it's cruelty. And it's not just the Bronx DA. It's, the, it's an indictment on the whole system. And the whole system has to be challenged. 
So it's it's the police officer who arrests him. It's every single person along the path that unless you change the rules of but the impact is his mental health, which deteriorated not when he went out of prison, but the day he was arrested. No, absolutely. I totally agree with that. We were actually having part of this conversation earlier on Thursday before when we were planning for the show. And I mentioned that everything is sort of related to everything else and that it starts actually with broken windows policing or with other analogs of broken windows policing that we see in other states. Because I know I want to we're talking about New York, but we're also talking about the bigger picture. Right. So at least with respect to New York, it starts with, you know, criminalizing people for low-level offenses, constantly having police out on the streets, the war on drugs, and, you know, people being arrested for uh, when other people say they did things, and police not actually doing legitimate police work to investigate these crimes before people are then arrested and charged. But then the broken window system leads to a backlog in the criminal justice system, because now even when you have people who are actually accused of crimes, they may have committed big crimes, and they're now being flooded into the system with people who are accused of low-level municipal violations or you know, kept overnight for having a warrant. That floods the entire system and creates a backlog. Then when you add to that the underfunding of the Legal Aid Society and how, like, all of the public defenders who are, a lot of them I feel are hardworking people, good lawyers who want to do right, but they're overwhelmed because of the overwhelming number of cases in the system. And then when you add to that bail, which I know our guest already mentioned, and the fact that there's eight forms of bail, some of five of which don't require you to put up cash or bond um, that are not used, forms of bail, five forms of bail that would help, potentially help people who are in poverty, who cannot make monetary bail, um, they're not utilized. And so that leads to a situation when you're actually innocent, you want to you know, protest your innocence, you end up sitting in prison for three years. Then you add to that all the problems in prisons and in Rikers specifically, everything from, uh, you know, what the Department of Justice calls a culture of violence between inmates and corrections officers, um, and then a violence between other inmates. It, I mean, it's a, as the guest points out, it's a damning indictment of the whole system from the first interaction with the police department until you get through the doors at Rikers. Right. Now, uh, just to, you know, what you you have a Bureau of Corrections here in New York, which is supposed to be an independent body. I attend their meetings every month with the new with New York City Jails Action Coalition, which is a phenomenal group and has in it Legal Aid Society, Bronx Defenders, all these people who are hardworking lawyers, who, no matter how hard everybody works. Unless we've got the city, the people of the city of New York, and I'm not talking about the same people who always come out. We need my mother. We need your mother. We need just like we need what we needed back in the 60s and 70s with the Vietnam War. We need a visual, a million people coming out and saying no, because just to abolish bail is a complicated issue and it should be done. But how are you going to do it unless people understand what it is? And trying to give them an explanation that there are this many kinds of bails, the point is the only thing the public has to know is people aren't guilty and they can't because of their poverty. 57% of 10,000 people in Rikers are on Rikers because they they couldn't come up with less than $3,000 in bail. That means you're incarcerating poor people. That it is nothing more. Eighty percent of the people in Rikers are incarcerated because they owe less than five thousand dollars in bail. So you've got an entire prison that that 
is is around is a culture of violence is a problem has not been changed and people are only there because they owe some money they're not right. there because they murdered anybody so it, close it down don't go after the bail close rikers I mean you, we need something bigger if people there should not we don't need to house people who haven't been we don't need pre-detaining prisons which are debtors prisons which are prisons for poor people Right, guys, again, if you're tuning in and you want to chime into the conversation, the number is 212-650-6903. Our guest, Eve Litwalk, has made a, a number of great points um, about prison uh, bail reform, which Alyssa mentioned earlier in the show. Um, and again, just maybe we should shut down Rikers Island. That's a really, really interesting point. Um, Eva, I wanted to give you some more time to actually uh, talk about that before we go on break. Do you think that instead of you know, reforming the prison, um, the prison system, and specifically Rikers Island, we should shut it down. And I mean, I know Mayor Bloomberg has taken some steps to um, try, try to start reforming the prison. Um, there's no no longer can people between the ages of, I think, 16 and 17 be held in solitary confinement. And I know that they're trying to push for to, to move that age up even more. And so there is a lot of reform going on in Rikers. Right. But right that reform now. is happening at the low level at the city level, right? If you really want to fix the situation, then there actually has to be reform. And this is the case with the bail also, because uh, I was very involved with doing a report and recommendations on bail reform in New York State with the New York County Lawyers Association uh, last year. In fact, if you want to check out that report, we published it January 15th of 2014. But you have to go at this problem from the state level. You have to go up to Albany and lobby the state assembly, the state senate, the governor, Governor Cuomo, because ultimately, even if the mayor and the, the Department of Corrections commissioners goes and institutes reforms here directly at Rikers, raising the age of criminal responsibility for youths are going to be is is something that has to happen through the state legislature, as well as changing the bail system in New York State. That's a function of the state legislature. It's not. Something something that the mayor or that the city here in New York could do on its own. And and the bigger picture is in other places, it's not something that the New York state can do for the rest of the country. It's not a federal thing. If you right. want to change bail all over the country, that has to be on one state legislature at each time. Evie, we have about a minute and 30 seconds before we go to break. Did you have a response for that? We There's three days left for the state in this on the state level to try to pass raise the age RTA, which every group the the signatories on this list is huge. It's one step. I'm a believer that in 1976, when Lyndon Johnson put together a paper that said we need to do prisons differently, we need the architecture to be more college-like, we need rehabilitation. That's the plan we should have done 40 years ago. That's the plan we have to go back to. I want to see Rikers bulldozed. I want to see something different in its place instead of the barbaric, the unhealthy facility it is. And I want to see a place where people are going to prison with the hopes that they can come out whole. Not that they can come out hopeless. Guys, we have on the line with us Eve Litwalk. She is the founder of the Ex-Offender Nation. We actually have to go on a break, but we will continue this conversation about prison reform right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Don't go anywhere. I don't want you monkey mouth sitting in my throne again. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard 
right here on WHCR 90.3 FM. You interrupted my white freestyle, Selena. Stop it. I'm the voice of Harlem. <sighs> I, I don't know what Chet, a.k.a. Stanley, or whatever name he's going by, is talking about today. I got enemies. A lot of black enemies. <laughs> Selena. Are you? What What type of white man are you? I am the only white man that needs to be around. A privileged white man. <laughs> Who has black enemies. Okay, Stanley. I'm going to um, let you rock with that one. We've been having a great conversation about prison reform, the criminal justice system, and, of course, Khalif Broder, who committed suicide after he unjustly, unfairly spent three years of his youth trapped in Rikers Island, and he committed suicide just uh, 12 days after his 22nd birthday. Um, I understand we have a very special guest on the line. We have Ms. Deborah. We're going to take her call now. Good morning, Ms. Deborah. Good morning. How are you? We're doing um, well. Um, the, you know, I, I know that it's just one facet, but, you know, uh, when I look at uh, correctional, some of the, some, some, of the correctional officers, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm very concerned, and I think that people blow it off. They don't say anything. They don't do anything about it. But even if I were a person who had a father or a husband who worked and did what they did to this boy, I would be very concerned to even have him in my home. And a lot of times when I'm looking at things like this, the only difference is that they have a uniform and they, they belong to a union versus prisoners who are inside who are just totally helpless. And some of them belong in jail, but not to what they did to this young man. Mm. All he chose to do was to say, no, I didn't do it, and I'm not going to give myself a record, and you just broke him like that. And I think that people with these uniforms, they need to be held accountable. Everybody needs to be held accountable. Right. I mean, if everybody needs assignments, certain people ought to have assignments for these people, they need to go after them. Yes, they do. Ms. Deborah, thank you so much for that comment. Again, she's referring to Khalif Broder. There is video footage of him being beat up by a prison guard while he was at Rikers Island. Um, and she makes a good point. The, the guards, and we've been seeing across the nation, especially in the last, within the last year or so, how police officers, um, prison guards, people who are working for the system, are displaying a lot of acts of violence, especially on people of color, and they're not being held accountable. And I don't know where this, well, I mean, actually I do, but, you know, they have this uh, large levels of aggression and rage, and they get away with it because they have the uniform. Don't forget about them standing around and watching inmates attack other inmates and not intervening, because there's twofold aspect of that, right? There's both them affirmatively committing acts of excessive force against inmates, and then there's also the acts of omission, where they see a fight break out, and they know that these are two potentially violent people, and they say, oh, we'll just, you know, we're not going to do anything to intervene in this thing. So right. there's this, it's they, twofold. The, the correctional officers have been in a very powerful position for two decades in New York. So um, this is just in reference to New York. Norm Seabrook has been a very strong and a, and likely a very corrupt leader. And this is a very powerful union, but this doesn't mean that they're good at their jobs. And I would say 90% of those at Rikers really need to be fired, and we need to hire a different kind of person to handle these people. The Legal Aid Society has just filed a lawsuit because the extent of sexual violence against women is so high in the Rose M. Singer portion of this prison, which is the women's unit, that it has to be stopped. And you have numerous lawsuits coming out specifically against um, 
these officers. But I want to deal with, if I could change the subject to solitary confinement, I think one of the primary goals we must have in the United States is to end solitary confinement for everybody, not just at Rikers. There are 80,000 people that are caged in. I was in solitary. Mm. I am 63 years old. I was there for seven weeks, and I can tell you that there are days that you do want to die. You may not want to kill yourself, but you do want to die rather than be in there another day. There's no way you keep your mind being locked up with nothing to do. And while you're in there, having guards not give you basic things. If you want to roll a toilet paper and you're stuck behind in 24 hours a day and they don't want to give it to you, it's humiliating. It's torture. You're freezing. You don't have enough clothes. You don't have enough blankets. The food is horrible. You're sick. You don't feel well. They keep fluorescent lights on so that it gives you a blaring headache. It is torture. And I was older which I think helps, but to put a, to ever put anybody who's young in solitary is, should be, it's like Gitmo it, on the, in the, in New York. You're absolutely right, Ave. I mean, let's think about it. When we bring it back to Khalif Broder, who was 16 at the time he entered uh, Rikers Island, and then he spent at least two years on, in solitary confinement. Um, during this age period, he was still developing. He was still a child, and the brain does not finish developing until um, later on in life. Sometimes, I think it's around like 24, uh, around 24 years old. So if your mind is still being shaped and influenced at this age to literally torture someone with this type of physical and mental brutality is literally torture and that's the word that the united nations actually used when describing this practice now again i'm I'm happy that we've taken some steps to ban it um for for 16 and 17 year olds but there's also a movement to end it for anybody who's under 21 but it sounds like eve what you're saying is we need to end it all together i i want to give you um um, not to play devil's advocate, but the opposite, what people on the other side say, like the prison guards, they've been saying we cannot end solitary confinement. What are you going to do when a person who's incarcerated um, slashes the neck of someone else or, you know, is really aggressive, really violent, or it tries to kill somebody else? What What are we supposed to do? If we end solitary confinement, you will be endangering the lives of the prison guards. That's the argument they're making. What do you have to say to that? I believe that it happened. They always like to pick out, pull out the picture of the one person who did slash someone. And you do have, out of a prison of 10,000 people, you may have five and you may have 10 people that are that violent. And there has, to, and you may have to lock up, and I don't mean indefinitely, but it's like there has to be a space for you to put that person. But that space doesn't have to be torture. That space has to be separate. In other words, someone who's a danger to you and a danger to yourself, the only option doesn't have to be uh, solitary confinement. It can be a space that we create and define which keeps these people. Because they're, look, not everybody in prison is, I don't want to discuss guilt or innocence because there, I'd say roughly 10% of the entire prison population is probably people you don't want on the street. But the other 90%, there can be an alternative, even if they've committed, whether or not they've committed a crime. So the same is true 
there's about 10% of the prison population, less, not even 1% of the prison population that is violent. And you do have to come up with a solution, but it's not the solution you use for everybody. So if I, you know, people are in solitary because they talk back to officers. People mm. are in solitary because an officer doesn't like them. Mm. People are in solitary for ridiculous reasons because they didn't walk on the right side instead of the left side. So you can't point to the slasher because that's one. Right. It's that's an abusive one. practice. Abby, I have a question for you. So we're talking about that there are people who are in prisons that we do not want out on a, in regular streets. And as someone who grew up in a very interesting neighborhood, I, I've, I had an opportunity to grow up with some people who you could tell at a very early age that they were going to be problematic. And as adults, they became extremely problematic. And they go to prison, and then they tend to... And I, I know people, fortunately and unfortunately, who they've gone to prison and they've gotten their stripes because they've gone to Rikers and wreaked havoc to the point that guards were happy when they left. What do you do with those kind of people? Because you're talking about putting them in a separate space that's not solitary confinement. Prison is supposed to be a separate space for people who cannot function in public. And look at how bad it's turned out. Just because we put them in a separate space that's not solitary confinement, why won't it just end up being just as bad as Rikers is? Well, we have to, part of making this decision, again, there's, if you look at Norway, which the Times wrote about, that prison is constructed completely differently. That prison gives people opportunity. That prison gives people skills. Are we, is, we have to redefine the idea of crime, what's a crime, and what's a heinous crime. And we have to not call everything a monolithic crime. So am I, you know, I, I walk around saying, hi, my name is Evie Litwock, and I'm a criminal. And I do that because people ought to understand that being a criminal could be that you peed in the street, and you got arrested for that, or you we said something bad to someone, or you killed somebody. We are not all the same. So we have to redefine what we really want to incarcerate people for, and we have to redefine punishment. We can't be giving 10 lifetimes to everybody. They don't live that long, and it's stupid. If you're in prison, I was in prison with people who've been in there 20 years. They're they are not the same people that they were coming in. So even if they committed they even if they committed murder when they were 19 years old and they're now 40 or 50 because they've been in there 30 years, the question is, do they really need to be in there? Is this what we want to do? Just throw away the key to these people because they're not the same person they were when they committed that murder. Right. right. No, absolutely. And in fact, that's just something, not only that, but the, I wanted to go back to another point you made about who should be in prison, because that's the exact point I made to Stanley uh, in the studio when, you know, when you, like when we went to commercial break, which was that he said, oh, these people at Rikers that are, they're segregated from society because uh, supposedly or allegedly they can't function within society. I said, yeah, but a good portion of the people who are at, at Rikers are nonviolent drug offenders or people who got arrested for municipal violations that, you know, miss a court date and like can't make this $500 bail, as we pointed out. I mean, one third of the people who are in are in on bail. And out of that one third of the people who are in on bail, only a very, very small number of them have committed some kind of very violent crime that, you know, would necessitate at least segregating them awaiting trial from the public in the public safety aspect. Anyways, if you have a comment or a question, you can give us a call at 212-650-6903. Selena? I just want to be very clear when I said the people who are problematic. I meant the people who are extremely violent. Not everyone. No, oh, no. okay. Well, yeah. well, thank you for um, 
clarifying that, Stanley. Um, guys, again, I wanted to just let you guys know we're on the phone with Eve Letwalk, who is the founder of the Ex Offender Nation. She's also an active member of New York City of NYC Jail Action Coalition. Um, I wanted to to shift the conversation to talk about the Raise the Age campaign because there is a bill that it, that has been proposed that possibly could have saved Khalif's life. Um, so. This bill, which is still pending in Albany, um, it's a proposal to raise the state's age of criminal responsibility to 18 so that the state will be prohibited from housing anyone younger than 18 in adult correctional facilities like Rikers. Um, As of today, only New York and North Carolina are the only states in the country that prosecutes 16 and 17-year-olds as adults. And and again, again, these teenagers are housed with uh, adults, with adult people in these um in these facilities and it only increases their risk of suicide and recidivism recidivism so i wanted to know from you evie why is it important that we raise the age is this a proposal and a bill that you feel that you are supporting and can back one hundred thousand percent the correctional association is one of the key people leading this task force we this we have three days left on this proposal and the work that's being done in Albany includes so they have about 20 days of work that they've got to get done in three if we miss this uh it's tragic if they pass this then anybody under 18 would be out of prison however we really need to think things through because just letting people out of prison so, and not taking care of their mental health having been in prison is not an okay option because you suffer in prison. You're not you're impacted by being behind walls. You hear things and see things. So yes, we must demand that everybody under 18 get out because we are one of only two states who do this. And yes, those people should be, there should be psychological help. There should be some some good programming for them so that this doesn't happen again. Because some of these kids didn't do anything and some of these kids did. Right. We actually have someone on the line who would like to let their voice be heard. We'll go to the caller. Good morning. Yes, good morning and thank you. This is Brother Omar from the Harlem Big Mango area. And I'd like to share, if I might, an experience I had visiting someone. I was suffering from the flu, uh, but I had to visit this brother because uh, it was Christmas Day. Uh, it took me about four hours just to get to see him because he was in a prayer session and they wouldn't give him the message. Uh, the guards wouldn't give him the message, but it was a big mix-up. Anyway, while I was sitting there, I'll never forget this as long as I live. And this must have happened almost 10 years ago where this uh, very dapper uh, gentleman was with his 10-year-old, I guess it was his son, or it could have been his grandson. And they, uh, he was bringing in something uh, uh, that was uh, restricted, and they... They uh, fastened him, they, they handcuffed him to the uh, bench, and his uh, little boy was was crying. And I'll never forget the sister turning around and saying, you know, whoever told you to bring this substance in, rather, is not a good friend of yours. And uh, that, that haunts me, because uh, sitting there and watching the way the guards were, were treating some of the people who were, uh, you know, were, were prisoners, and uh, it it just struck me that there's something wrong with this system. And for this young man, 
uh, to have committed suicide. And I, I watched that tape, how you mentioned guards beat him, but the guard, you didn't mention his hand. He was handcuffed when the guards were beating him. Okay, you forgot to mention that part. And it was a group of them that jumped on him. And I got flashbacks of a, a relative of mine, and I'll cut this short. She was working. She would fingerprint the brothers and sisters when they would be coming into these prisons. Uh, she was a collection officer. And uh, she worked there for about 12 years. She almost had a nervous breakdown. She had to leave the job. She said, I I can't take it no more. Wow. Thank you so much, Brother Omar, for sharing that story um, and those comments. And, um, yeah, you're right. Khalif was, um, they did handcuff him, and then they also put cuffs on his feet in the videos that I saw. per se excessive force to beat somebody with handcuffs on. At the very least of it. Um, Unfortunately, we do have to wrap it up. But before we go, Ave, can you just answer um, briefly, how, what can we do? What can be done to avoid another tragedy and another death like Khalif Broder? I think that uh, people have to start attending the Bureau of Correction, which is the only independent body, meetings that go on once once a month for about 10 months out of the year. The next meeting is an extremely important meeting. There, the proposal from docs, from the commissioner, has been to restrict housing so that you can hug at the beginning and then you sit behind a glass wall. So by further restricting physical contact, they're really emotionally making the situation much worse for everybody in Rikers. And they're doing this under the pretext of um, trying to prevent weapons from coming in, even though all the evidence points to the fact that weapons don't come in through visitation. They want to eliminate many, many more things. And we need a lot of people to counter the reform, the, this, this, restrictions masquerading as reform. So you need to follow me, follow Jack, and come to these meetings. Number two, right now in the next three days, we need people to call Albany and get get this raise the age so we at least eliminate everybody under 18 and get them out of prison. This is our one shot, and then it will be years away before we can do it again. Thank you so much again, Eve. Let, well, um, really quickly, how can people contact you and also follow up on your organizations? Please subscribe to my website. It's free. It's only me blogging. And uh, follow oh. me on Twitter and friend me on Facebook. And I, I write every day. This is all that I do. What my is commitment your, is to change. What is your website address and Twitter handle? Uh, it's www.exoffendernation.com. Thank you so much again, Eve. Um, we're wrapping it up here, but before we do, I want to get final comments. I know Alyssa had something that she wanted to say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is one of those issues where everything is really related to everything else. There's so many different facets of it that need to be reformed in order to get, uh, you know, where we need to be. I mean, if you look at Rikers, it's actually one of the things we touched on but really didn't get to get into is that it's actually one of the biggest mental health facilities in all of New York City is that when people are in mental crisis and suffering from mental illness, we arrest them as part of the broken windows policing and then we send them to Rikers instead of giving them the treatment they need and they don't get the treatment they get worse at Rikers being confined but getting away from that issue for a second I mean there's several things in my mind that we need to do that are all separate but all related to each other which is everything from ending broken windows policing giving people mental health treatment that they need without sending them to prison raising the age of criminal responsibility bail reform ending the war on drugs and then once you get into the prisons you know we really need to focus 
and our guest mentioned Norway, the sort of the Norway model of rehabilitation, job training for people because, you know, for jobs that actually exist so that once they get out, they can become productive members of society. You remember, most people in prison are getting out. You have to treat these people with respect and human dignity because after all, at the end of the day, these people are humans and they deserve to be treated respect. Dostoevsky once said, the degree of civilization in our society can be judged by entering its prisons. Thank you so much again, um, Alyssa, for that and summarizing the solutions and what needs to be done. I just want to end with this, saying that Khalif Broder was extremely brave to go public with his story. He is not the only person that had to endure and continues to endure such suffering, such agony, and even at such a young age. But he was brave enough to face and fight a fight for his innocence and face those demons that plagued him until uh, finally he just could not take it. There's so many things that we can do. Our guests talked about calling our legislators, speaking out, speaking up on these issues to prevent another Khalif Broder situation from happening. And it needs to be done. It has to start with us because we see how unjust our criminal justice system is. So in order for it to change, it's up to us to let our voices be heard. On that note, we do have to go on a quick break. But when we come back, we're talking about the news stories during the news roundup. Stay tuned. Look, I live the life I deserve. Bless. When 